beautiful audience members and also to those of you who are not so beautiful uh thank you for checking this out and i'm, I'm just wishing you a uh, fabulous friday so there's that um before we jump in this is episode 11 of the end one podcast featuring mike mckenzie who we will tell you all about momentarily and we have an email we have an instagram they're both down in the description you can check them out for yourself and if you think you should be on this podcast, you know somebody you think should be on this podcast. Those are the ways that you can let us know. So yeah, do yourself a favor. Check those out. Hit us with the follow. And yeah, that's about all I got to say right now. Intro's coming to an end. And you know what that means. The podcast is coming to a start. Let's go. See ya. Peace. guys welcome to episode 11 of the and one podcast and today we're joined by mike mckenzie uh general manager and head coach of the kitchener rangers so normally he's got a lot going on right now there's only so much that can be going on uh how you doing you want to give a quick introduction tell us what you're up to at the moment yeah thanks for having me guys uh it's been a super weird year for sure i think like anyone it's uh COVID has impacted everyone's life and it's no different in in hockey and my job so it's been super strange this year usually at this time of the year we'd be right in the the middle of the season and gearing up for playoffs and we're all just kind of sitting at home and the players aren't even in town yet they're all in their respective home centers and so it's uh, it's definitely a strange feeling. It's it's definitely not what we're used to being in the middle of February. That's for sure. Are you keeping in touch with the uh, with the guys? You, you you still trying to get some stuff done? It, yeah, we have a. It's an interesting dynamic right now because we do have some players that are actually playing and that we've been able to loan out to European teams. Yep. Um, so we've got four or five guys over in Europe um, playing. So which is great for them that they're able to play still. And then we've got three guys playing in the American Hockey League because they're drafted players um, by NHL teams. So they brought them up to play um, in the American Hockey League while we're not playing. And uh, all those guys will obviously come back if and when we do start. But uh, so we've got about like half our team playing uh, right now. So we don't really want to bug those guys too, too much because they're kind of in the middle of the season, even though it's not with us, but we do try to stay in touch with guys. Like we do some zoom calls, um, try to stay in touch with them and, you know, make sure, I mean, the the main thing we're trying to is just make sure that mentally they're in a, in a good place. Cause I think it's taking its toll on, on everyone, uh, with all the restrictions and lockdowns. But I think especially for like athletes that, aren't used to not being able to play their sport it's definitely difficult for them oh as far as the season starting um starting back do you have any idea when it's going to come back no at the moment no we're just still waiting right now and that'll be a a a league uh decision well no i shouldn't say just a league decision but they'll have to um, get approval from government and health and all those things that um 
you know, you have to deal with now with the pandemic. So um, we're just kind of patiently waiting right now. And it's, uh, it's tough for sure, but um, I'm sure they're on top of it. And once, once they have more information, I'm sure they'll share it with us. But right now we're kind of just in a holding pattern, wait and see. Nice. Um, do you, as a general manager, do you get any say in that? Like, I don't know how involved they, they are in decisions in the uh, OHL. Not, not me personally, no. Um, I mean, there would be some some guys that may be on like a return to play type committee okay. um, where they're kind of like looking at different ideas or, or throwing yeah. out some ideas. Um, I'm not part of that, but I'm, I, I think there is a, a return to play committee made up of a couple GMs, a couple people from the league, a couple governors and owners, um, just kind of like a big mix of people just to kind of brainstorm, come up with ideas. And obviously, you know, ideas are great, but at the end of the day, it's going to have to be something that's safe and approved um, by people a lot higher than just the OHL in our league. It's uh, we're, we're dealing with government and health now, which is a little bit different. Um, being nice a way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being a hockey league, we're really not used to having to get approvals from people like that um but that's just the world we live in now right everything has to go through government and health so yeah it's uh i i really don't have much say at all to be honest with you guys yeah uh, i i mean you know we can we can talk about whether it's going to happen or not at this point it's all speculation but um one of the things that was thrown out quite a bit that i certainly heard sammy i'm probably heard it as well was was that they, they were strongly considering coming back to play um with with no contact um how important do you feel uh contact is to junior hockey or hockey in general and and do you think you could make it work without uh contact uh yeah yeah i I don't really want to touch too much on that because again we're dealing with you know those decisions Decisions aren't really made by me, so it, it doesn't really matter what I think. Um, I think everyone has an opinion on it, obviously. Yeah. Like hockey's a physical sport and, you know, contact has been involved in it, you know, for forever, basically. Um, so that came as a shock to some people. But I know some junior junior B leagues and, and lower level leagues did start playing without contact. Um I think we're just in a bit of a unique situation just because we are a feeder league to professional hockey and specifically the NHL with, with a number of our players getting drafted to the NHL Uh and moving on to play in the NHL and even the American league that, um, you know, it would be a little bit different in that sense because obviously the NHL is playing right now, the American hockey league's playing right now and they're playing with contact and, and that's not going to change anytime soon. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I mean, right now, I think everything just needs to be on the table. And I think sometimes people see things on online and social media and, and uh, you know, their first reaction is to, to really get worked up and, and uh, take it as fact when really, you know, nothing concrete has been set yet. All speculation. Um, so we'll right? just, yeah, speculation. So um, we'll wait and see, you know, once that time comes where th- the plans are made concrete, then we'll see how it looks and, and see what it, it looks like then, I guess. Sweet. Yeah. Um, now, uh, for people who don't know, before you uh, became general manager, head coach of the Rangers, now I'm sure you, you were able to kind of work your way up there, but 
but going way back, you you actually played hockey yourself and played at a pretty high level. Uh, you played junior hockey with the St. Michael's Buzzers of the OPJHL. Haven't heard that in a while uh, until the 0506 <laughs> season. And I was looking at it, I was really interested because in your final season, in just 40 games, you were able to rack up 110 penalty minutes while also scoring two points per game almost and being captain of the team. So... <laughs> Were were you were were you a dirty player, a grinder, or as a captain, were you just sticking up for the boys? <laughs> well, not too many of them were fighting majors. I'll be honest with you, with you guys. They, there was a lot of slashing penalties in there. Um, there might have been a couple ten minute misconducts for uh, you know getting getting angry at a referee or whatever. But yeah, um, dirty player, maybe a little bit dirty. Um, I'd say. Oh. I'll admit that, um, but it wasn't like I was going around getting in fights. Um, you know, I wasn't like a, a fighter or a super tough guy on the ice, um, but played chippy, played a little bit dirty. So uh, it's easy to, to rack up some of those penalty minutes. I think back then they were still like counting 10 minute misconducts on your penalty minute record. Um, Did they not I think do that they've anymore? changed that. I think they've changed it now. So you can't just you know, chirp a referee, get 10 minutes, and then, you know, it goes on your, on your uh, penalty minutes. So I think that might've been the reason why it looks so high when really I wasn't that tough, uh, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> I see. Um, was it really that bad with the refs? Like, was it, was it one chirp and you're done? Or was it like a chirp and, uh, and, and you're done? You know? Well, it depends who you get, I guess. Some guys have a thicker skin than others and, um they can take it and give it back even sometimes and, and other guys obviously don't and you know all of a sudden you're in the box and you're like wow i didn't really think i said too much so you got to be a little bit you had to be a little bit careful and kind of know um who you were dealing with and, and who who uh, had a thin or thick skin so that was kind of the uh the tricky part of it but yeah that's that's kind of how it went i think yeah, so um, as a player, you had a tendency to trip the refs a lot like that. Uh, what do you think would be your biggest fight with a ref in your playing career? <laughs> well, um, it never got that heated, I'll be honest with you. Like, it wasn't ever, like, anything, anything too bad. But um, one moment stands out for sure of, of something that uh, in my junior hockey days – um, that a referee call, I'll call the penalty on me and kicked me out of a game. And it was in like the finals of a, uh, it was called the Dudley Hewitt cup, which is uh, like yep. the final Ontario tournament, um, before you go to the Royal bank cup, which is the national championship. And we, we had, we had won four rounds, uh, of playoffs, um, to, to go to the Dudley Hewitt cup. And the team that we beat in the fourth round was, uh, the Georgetown Raiders and it just happened that they were hosting the Dudley Hewitt cup that year. So even though we beat them in the, in the fourth round, um, they got a berth in the Dudley Hewitt cup because they were the host team. So we had beat them out, but then we ended up both making it to the finals of the Dudley Hewitt cup. And so we had to play them again. And on the first shift of the game, there was a scrum in the corner and one of their bigger defensemen knocked me down and kind of slew footed me. 
And yeah. so I ended up on my back and he stood over top of me and like taunted me while I was on the ice, like with both his feet over top of me. And I was obviously emotions were running high being the championship game, probably a little too high. And so I like took the tip of my stick and like poked him in the nose with it. Jesus. Like not that hard though. Like not like I didn't like spear him in the, in the nose I wonder face, what he would have But said. just kind of like, <laughs> kind of like poked them and uh they, they kicked the the ref gave me a five minute major and kicked me out of the, the the game um like a minute into the game of the championship game so that's always stuck out for me um as like the one time i was just really upset with a a, a decision or call that the ref made but it was probably more to do with the fact that I felt I didn't deserve a five minute major, but also just the stage of the game. Yeah. Um, and I was actually talking with someone today and that story came up. So it's fresh in my mind, but that's kind of the one that stands out when dealing with referees. So <laughs> perfect. Um, so I, I kind of want to see if it runs in the family because for, for people who don't know, um, your, your dad, Bob McKenzie, uh, currently works at TSN. He's been there a long time. He's a pretty well-known guy, but generally he's portrayed as a pretty level-headed guy uh, on TV. However, um, as a hockey dad, hockey parent in general, um, it can sometimes bring out the, uh, I don't want to say the worst, but the most uh, fired up part of us. Uh, were, were there any instances uh, that, that you can remember where, where your dad got, got uh, heated at a hockey game? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some, and he actually wrote a book about being a hockey dad. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's called true confessions of a crazy question yeah. mark hockey dad. <laughs> so he, he had enough stories, obviously that he felt he could write a book about it. And so yes, the answer is yes. Um, but I think he wrote it because he wanted it to be a, a learning experience for other people going through that and some of the mistakes that he made and also some, some funny stories in there too. So, uh, there were times when he did obviously get heated, um, and and a lot of those stories are in the book, um, mm -hmm. but it was never to the point where uh, it you know it was you know crazy or completely offside. But I think just your typical hockey dad, um, and he coached too, um, so hockey dad slash hockey coach, yeah, <laughs> uh, fire behind the bench or or whatever you want to call it. So. Um, and he was like hard on me too. He, I said, I mentioned he coached me, but he was, he was one of the coaches or dads that coached that definitely didn't give his son preferential treatment <laughs> and probably was like the opposite Maybe of that. a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it was like, Hey, I want to make sure that, that no one on this team or no parents on the team think I'm giving my son preferential treatment. So I'm going to go the opposite way and make sure I'm a little harder on him just to, uh, you know, to make sure that, that that's not the case. So there was a couple uh, instances where, like I said, I was, I was pretty emotional player when I played, especially when I was younger, that he had to calm me down on the bench and really kind of, kind of uh, give it to me a little bit to calm down. So it happens, but yeah, it, it was, it was fun. I mean, now that, that you're a coach, do you ever like think back uh, to that while you're coaching? Do you think maybe that takes an edge off of you or, or, uh, or, or makes it go a little easier on the guys because you know what it's been like or do you think it just makes you makes you want to get back at back at them i don't know no no i don't think so i think 
and, and my dad was good with the other kids. He knew he could be hard on me because I was his son. And so, of course, yeah. um, it, it's a little different, right? But no, like I'm, I'm pretty, I, I like to think I'm a pretty calm coach in that sense. Um, I think the game's just changed so much and kids have changed so much. It's, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, like people responded a little bit more to yelling and motivation and, and all those tactics. And I think it's just different now. And, and kids want to know why they're doing things. And, you know, the whole yelling and screaming, it, it just doesn't work. It gets old really quickly. And I'm sure yeah. you guys may have had coaches that, that did it at some point. And, you know, the first or second time you, you look at them and at least I did when I had coaches that did it and you're like, Oh wow, he really means business. But once it becomes a habit and it's yeah. the fourth or fifth time, you just kind of look and you're, you're thinking, here we go again. And uh, I think sometimes mm -hmm. it's just better to, to calmly explain to guys, you know, if, if something is, is wrong or the level of compete isn't there that you expect to just say it to them honestly, but in a, you know, in not a demeaning way and just be real honest with them about it. And I think some, sometimes that builds a little more trust in, with your players. And I think it, it also gets the message across a little bit better because I just, especially teenage kids, I don't know that many that, that go out and perform better when they're nervous and when they're on edge from being yelled at or they feel nervous or anxious or, or whatever. So um, I think the game's definitely changed that way. And I, I like to think that I'm fairly good that way with our players. And th there's a level of respect there that we, we both show to each other. And, um, it's, yeah, it's just different now, I think. Yeah. Um, after your junior hockey time, you went to, you went and played college hockey. Can you talk about the pros and cons of the college route and how it compares to the junior route in Canada? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic that I did play in the NCAA and now I'm back working in the OHL and, and I talked to a number of different players throughout the year that are, especially American players that are have their sights set on the NCAA um, and parents that obviously have their sights set on their son going to the NCAA to get an education and play hockey um, because that's kind of what they grow up knowing and watching and uh it's, it's a bit unique that I have that experience to kind of say to them when I'm talking to them that, hey, I, I've seen both sides of it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I did the NCAA thing myself, but now I'm back in the OHL, so I can have a pretty unbiased view of things, mm -hmm. uh, which, which I think helps. Um, but there are differences. I think the biggest one is just the age in which you're, you're going to play. And I think people sometimes forget that it's almost like apples to oranges um, comparing the two, because if you're a really good player, you'll come to the OHL when you're 16 years old. And most guys will go to play NCAA hockey uh, when they're like 19 or maybe 18, if they're really, really good. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, that time between when you're 16 and 19 is, that is three years. And that's a lot of time to, not, not time to kill, I shouldn't say, but time to develop and things like that and find places to play. So it's almost like measuring two completely different sets of time in a, in a player's career to a certain extent. But I think the biggest differences are just the amount of games. NCAA is typically a shorter season with like, you know, 35-ish games, maybe 40 tops. Whereas we play 68, it's a bit more of a pro schedule. 
Um, I think in general, the OHL and CHL has a bit more higher end skill level. Um, if you look at our league, there's guys that are first round NHL picks um, that are going to go on to play in the NHL when they're 20 years old. Um, and not to say that there isn't guys like that in college, but typically there isn't many of those guys um, throughout college. Um, whereas the CHL, there, there's just a lot of them and the skill level is really high. Um, so if you're, you're a top tier player um, and you want to compete against the best players um, from the time you're 16 right up till you're 19, then, then that's why our league is such a good option for players because you get to do it right away as soon as you're 16 instead of having to kill a couple of years and playing a bit lower level junior hockey to, to prepare for college. Yeah, that is a convenient advertisement for you. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, talking about that kind of time, uh, those few years where you're developing, um, a league that's been kind of on the rise in the U.S. is the is the USHL. And I believe that that one is a lot more catered to younger players. I'm not 100% sure um, what the age limit is, but correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's almost the same as uh, the CHL and how that works. Do you want to talk about that league and how it's been rising up, if you know much about it? Yeah, it, it is the same age um, window, um, like 16 to 20. Mm -hmm. And typically it's a, a little bit of an older league, I think, than our league. And okay. what it is is really a league um, for the most part. I mean, there are some younger players there, um, but it, for the most part, it's typically older guys that are really preparing to go off to college uh, when they're 18 or 19 or even 20 years old. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit different in that sense. Um, and obviously they can pick players from anywhere in the US um, or really anywhere in the world. Um, and, and we can have two import players, but they have import players too. And they can, they can pick Canadian players from, from anywhere or draft Canadian players from, from anywhere. Um, and then they can pick or draft us players from anywhere in the U S. So that's a huge difference when comparing it to our league where we're strictly Ontario and then you know, certain U.S. states, Michigan, uh, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York State, and basically right down the coast, even though there's not a ton of players coming from Florida and Georgia and places like that. But that that is still our territory. So it's a little bit different in that sense where they can they can pick almost anyone they want. If, if someone wants to go to their league, they can they can basically pick them, whereas we're a little tied more to our area um and so it's it's a little bit different um you know it's uh you know level of play wise i'm not you know too too sure um how they stack up um you know there's lots of good players there and there's lots of good players in our league too so it's uh you know it's hard to say uh, i'm not super super familiar with it i focus obviously more on our league but yeah um yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think that OHL team should have more import slots? Um, no, I wouldn't say more, I don't think. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it is the Ontario Hockey League, and we want to make sure that we're developing, you know, kids that are from Ontario. Um, so I think that would be a little dangerous to add more. And uh, next thing you know, you have, you know, five or six players from Europe on your team, and, yeah. and now Ontario kids are getting squeezed out or, or not being able to play. Um, 
you know, when it is the Ontario Hockey League and, and one of the main goals of the league is to, to bring in Ontario kids and develop them and move them on to the next level or move them on to U sport or wherever that may be. So I think, uh, yeah, I don't think more would be uh, good. I think it's fine how it is now. Sweet. Um, so moving on a little bit, uh, when you took over uh, as Rangers head coach uh, in 2019, I believe, you the, the the Rangers weren't having the greatest season, and I'm sure you know this, you're general manager at the time, but as soon as you stepped in, they went on uh, this crazy 10-game undefeated run, turned the season around. Um, I wanted to focus a little more on the positive than the negative and just kind of ask uh, what, what changed maybe you're doing or nothing to do with you at all that caused this positive trend to happen? Um, I think it was like, like a combination of factors and it probably wasn't just one thing. I think one factor was we had some injuries um, during that stretch and then slowly but surely guys started making their way back into our lineup. And, and one big piece was our goalie, who's really good, Jacob Ingham, who's he now was, playing pro. He was lights but, out that year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was he was unbelievable for us. So he came back from injury, which was was good and obviously a huge boost. Um, and we played a little bit more free and kind of once we got that first win um, after that had all happened and we decided to make the change. Um, I think the guys just found confidence and they started playing a bit more free and more loose and um, the monkey was kind of off the back and it just kind of kept rolling from there. And we just found confidence and we always knew we had a good team with like good players. Um, so I think once we got through that tough stretch and got one or two under our belt, then everyone got started getting their confidence back and then we had good players and skilled players. So it kind of took over from there. Once, once those guys had the confidence, they started playing, playing loose. And next thing you know, we were rolling pretty good. Yeah. Uh, no. And, and you, you definitely, I, I mean, like you, you can never attribute something like that to just one factor or another. Um, and that's why purposefully I set it up, not trying to attribute it all to you because at the end of the day, uh, a 10 game winning streak, uh, putting that on one person would be kind of crazy. Um, you stepped in as interim head coach. Are you the full-time head coach now? Is that something you plan to do in the future or are you kind of looking at your options there? Well, it was the plan this year until there's no hockey to coach. So yeah, it I, hasn't I really so, come right? to fruition, but yeah, the plan was this year to, to continue coaching in a more permanent role. Um, and then just continuously kind of update where things were at and not really be tied to anything long term and if something came along that you know really made a lot of sense mm -hmm. then we could look at it and explore it um but if something didn't then i'd be perfectly fine with continuing on so we'll just continue to do that obviously it's it's very strange right now with no hockey being played so if we do start up at some point I'll, i definitely will coach this season and then we'll just continue to reassess um you know in the summer and stuff but not having any hockey to date has has definitely you know, changed that a little bit because you know we're just kind of sitting here and um you know it you never know how the season would have went if we were playing and obviously there's stuff that happens throughout a season that 
that factors into those decisions in the off season. But right now we haven't had any hockey, so it's hard to really make a call on it. So we'll see what happens in the near future and then kind of play it by ear. Yeah. Um, in that, in that second half of the season, I, I, I guess even now, even though you're not really actively being a head coach, there being no games, do you think that um, starting to stepping into that role as a head coach changed uh, any any ways in which you go about being the general manager? Uh, do, you th- do you think it made it easier, harder, conflicted, or maybe just tendency changes in general? I think it made it easier and harder at the same time. And why I say that is it made it easier because, I mean, when you're the general manager and the head coach, there's there's alignment on what you're doing no matter what because you're the same person so you're you're yeah. bringing in the players you want to play a certain style and you're able to execute that style of play and and go about the day-to-day of executing that with the players that you brought in so in that sense it, it was easier um, because we were able to take the vision we had and, and execute it and it was aligned. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, but it was also harder too, cause now you're doing two jobs. So you're splitting your time. You don't have as much time to do the GM duties sometimes and vice versa. Sometimes you don't have time to do as much of the coaching duties. So. Uh, I was really fortunate that we had a really good staff, a uh, really good group of assistant coaches, and I let them do a lot of stuff. And there would even be days where I would just let them go on the ice and I wouldn't even go on for practice, um, which is nice because it gives the players a break from me. They get sick of hearing me talk sometimes, um, being the head coach. Um, so it's nice for them to get a little break from me. Plus it allows the assistants to, to you know, do things, do more. Um, it empowers them, uh, which they like um, to do more. I think every coach always wants to do more. Um, and it, ga- it also gave me time to do some other duties on the management side, which was nice. So yeah. um, you couldn't do that without guys that you trust and know if you're not there are going to be doing the right things and the stuff you want. Um, so I was fortunate on the coaching side, but also the management side. If I was like on, away on a road trip or I had to miss a tournament, um, and I couldn't be there to scout players or whatever, then there was also some people on the management side that could help pick up that slack that I really trusted too. So it was really a group effort um, in that sense. Yeah, how, how is that relationship with the player though when they know that at any time you can, you can just trade them? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's a little different. Um, you know, it's... I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not going around the dressing room telling guys that and using it as a, uh, as a fear tactic, um, you know, if they're not playing well, but I mean, there is some truth to that, right? Like if you're, it's the same at work, you know, if you work a job and, and your boss isn't around much, then some people sometimes tend to slack off. And, but if he's right up in your, in your face and he's, he's around you then sometimes people have a way of, you know pulling up their socks and doing a better job when they know they're being watched. So I think there's a little bit of truth to that, but I'm not really, uh, you know, someone that's imposing that fear well, and I, I wouldn't want to. So I, I guess you would have to ask one of them how it feels, but I, yeah. I don't think it's that much of a factor. So, 
Yeah, uh, talking about uh, a few trades and stuff. Uh, to talk about some actual trades, not just the threat of the trade. Uh, Rangers brought in. I'm blanking on his name, but a a, a fairly uh, almost overager forward from the Flint Firebirds, I believe. I could be butchering this. Um, Jack Wismer. Jack Wismer, that's it. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about why you traded for him? Like, get us excited about him, basically. I love to be a biased Kitchener fan, so. No. Yeah, Makes for me. sure. Uh, <laughs> Talk about. Well, I wish, I wish you, I wish you guys could just go to the rink and see him play on Friday night and uh, see him for yourselves. Yeah. But obviously, that's not a, that's not uh, happening right now. So yeah, it it would have been nice to be playing and have him in our lineup. He he's a guy, yeah, overage like you said. So this will be his last season. Yeah. Um, but he's just a, a really solid player. He's he's like a good he's a good sized kid, but he plays super hard, competes hard. He's really heavy on his stick, um, but he's got good scoring touch, uh, good playmaking, and he produced a good amount of points last year. Um, and you know, Flint had a pretty good team last year, and he was he was one of their key weapons up front. So we were really excited about adding him. Um, and we will be really excited if, if we play to get a chance to have him on our team and see him contribute to our team. So, um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, but hopefully we get to see him in a Ranger uniform at some point. Yeah. So I guess, uh, that that's riding on, uh, whether or not there's a season this year. Um, talking a little bit about, uh, your players and whatnot, um, is there something I'm sure as a head coach, general manager, you get to get, you get to know them pretty well. And a lot of times us as fans, uh, only really focus on them playing hockey. Are there any things that, uh, your players do on the side that any, any cool, uh, projects they do or, uh, hidden talents maybe that, that the average fan might not pick up on or be aware of? Um, yeah, well, they're all unique. Like that's the, you're right about that. Like, you know, when you go to a game, you just see them in their helmet and their gear and, uh, they basically just look like robots out there just kind of mm-hmm. doing their thing. And you forget that there's a, there's a young person under that helmet. Um, and it's, uh, you know, they're all unique individuals and just like any, if you, you grab a group of 20, 25 people off the street, they're all going to be different and have different talents and different personalities and some are quiet, some are loud, you know, like it's just, it's just a really good mix of guys and we're fortunate we have really good group of guys and that's something we really value when we draft players is their character and off ice um, stuff. So, um, you know, we've, we've got a really good group of guys. There's nothing off the top of my head that really, really stands out um, in terms of, Fair. like, hidden talents or anything, like, really funny. Well, um, you got any, like, locker room clowns? Any guys that like to get under your skin, lighten up the mood? I don't know. Uh, there there are some, for sure. <laughs> um, trying to think last year who uh, – it, it's hard for me, too, because, like, as a coach, you don't – you don't always see, you know, that side of it. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. like when we walk out of the room, I'm sure there's stuff that goes on that's really <laughs> funny and, and guys are cracking jokes and stuff, but like, there's that, there's still that yeah. sense of a coach being around, you know, it's time to be serious. Like yeah. let's dial it in. So we don't see too much. Um, 
of that stuff, but there's definitely jokers and guys that are, are funny, but it would have to be probably the players that would, would tell you that. And, uh, it's, yeah, we uh, might have to get a more in-depth, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't want to say someone and then I'm way off base and, and, uh, I'm not even close and that guy's not funny at all. And, and there's like five guys that are way funnier or something like that. But we, we do have some for sure. I think every team has to have some of those guys. Yeah. Um, just asking them what, what is like the typical routine before games just as a team? For our team, like for the players or coaches or both or both. Yeah. Um, well, like in the morning, we'll like, like Friday night is usually our home nights, obviously. So, yeah. Um, our high school guys will go to high school, um, and do their classes, but the guys that aren't in high school and don't have university class at that time, will come into the rink at around nine o'clock and they'll typically go on the ice for like a little pregame skate with, uh, our assistant coaches, usually nothing strenuous, just 20 minutes, half an hour, get a feel for the puck, get their legs moving a little bit. And then, uh, they'll go home and have their meal and take a nap. I'm sure most guys take naps. Um, our high school guys will finish up high school. They'll head home, grab a meal, probably try to squeeze a nap. And if they can, and typically for a seven 30 game, uh, most of our guys would arrive between five and five 30. So five 30 would be the very latest that guys would arrive at the rink, but some guys do get there earlier. And, um, from a coaching perspective, you know, in the morning, um, we would look at some video and do a little bit of a pre-scout on the other team, get our special teams in order, um, you know, make sure we knew what we were doing on the penalty kill against their power play and make sure we knew what we were doing on the power play against their penalty kill and have video ready to present to the team. And then once the players got to the rink, they just kind of, you know, mosey around, tape their stick, grab, grab a snack, you know, do some warming up a little bit. We would have um, our power play meetings with just the power play groups. Um, and then we would have a full team meeting where we would go over any free scope clips or penalty kill um, clips. And we'd have just our team meeting there. Then they'd go do a team warm up, off ice warm up, and basically get dressed, go on the ice for warm up. And then once warm up's done, we'd have one more little quick meeting. Um, just to touch up on a couple of things and then we would uh, head out to the game. So that's kind of what a typical game day would look like. Yeah. Um, as far as the high school guys, they're playing hockey at a really high level, right? And they still have to preserve their academics. I'm not sure how it works in the OHL, but in the NCAA, for example, you have to keep a certain grade average. Is that something you have to talk to the players about, push them, or is that not one of your concerns? Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely a part of the puzzle for sure. And there isn't any specific, you know, grade or, or thing they need, but like we just say pass. Yeah, requirement, but failing isn't really an option. And we, we make sure that if a player is struggling for whatever reason, we get to the root of that problem, um, whether it's attendance or it's not handing in work or it's just they're genuinely struggling with the course material, which can happen too. Yeah. So, you know, there's tutors available for them. We have an education advisor that takes nice. care of all that stuff. So if they ever need anything like that, then 
they can go to him and he'll hook them up with a tutor or even sit down with them on an off day and, and go over their work with them and make sure that, you know, they're catching up on the projects they need to catch up on. So that's kind of his role. My role is like a coach and general manager. Um, the two major ones is make sure that they get the class on time. Actually, I should say three major ones, get the class on time. Don't be late, get the class in period, like period. Yeah. Um, like no, don't skip class, make sure you get, get there. Uh, and number three, you know, when you're at school, we expect our guys to act, you know, respectful to other students, to teachers, to whoever, um, because they're, they're a kitchen arranger all the time, even when they're at school and we want our guys, you know, acting in the way we want kitchen arrangers to act, no matter whether they're at the rink, at the, at school, on the bus, hotels, whatever. So those are my three big ones um, that I really try to focus on and make sure that our guys are taken care of. So um, yeah, that's kind of how the high school situation works for our guys. Spoken like a true coach, Ranger on and off the ice. I think I've heard that from, from every coach I've had. So you, you pass all the cliches down. Don't worry. Yeah. Checking, checking them all off. Um, you talked a little bit about kind of being at the hotel. Um, do you guys stay at hotels when you're on the road? I know sometimes you, you might have like a late night trip. What's it like uh, playing on the road, especially since you can be going all over Ontario uh, in this league? Yeah, we typically don't have a ton of hotel nights a year, but we do have some. I think we usually average between 10 and 14 probably in any given year. Um, so that would that would pale in comparison to a team, say like Sault Ste. Marie, who, you know, spends almost every other weekend, two, three, four nights on, on yeah. the road in hotels, just because they're so far away from the other teams. So our central location is a huge benefit to us. And so we, we make a lot of day trips, Guelph, London, Sarnia, Owen Sound, Mississauga, like, you know, there's so even teams like Oshawa, Niagara, like, Hamilton, um, like basically two thirds of the league is within two to three hours of us. So we can just hop on a bus and go there and then get home, which is nice. Guys get to sleep in their own bed, but there are some trips where we got to stay over like the Northern swing. If we do up, go up to Sault Ste. Marie a couple times a year, Ottawa and Kingston, usually they pair together. So, um, it's not a ton, but I mean, it's good. It's, I mean, those trips are fun because you get on a bus with the team, you get to stay in the hotel. And sometimes it's nice to uh, do one of those at the start of the year, get a little bit of a team, team building, team bonding going and get some of the new guys acclimatized to the team and things like that. So not a ton of travel for us, which is kind of nice, but there is a little bit. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I'm guessing probably no manhunt in the hotels. No, that's uh, no mini, no mini sticks, no mini sticks. or uh, tag, tag in the hallways. No, no, that's uh, just uh, like I said, Ranger off the ice and on the ice, right? <laughs> yeah, you could argue, you could argue they gotta, they gotta represent the team in the halls. You play, be playing hockey all the time, but you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, and I. It's been great having you on. Uh, it, you know, gave us a lot of insight into uh, what, what it's what it's like being a head coach, general manager of the Rangers, what some of the guys are like. Uh, 
and and uh, it was it was kind of I was very curious when I when I saw that those big uh, penalty minute totals. So I had to get a little bit of backstory behind that. Um, just quickly uh, as we wrap it up, uh, want to ask the last question of the episode. We always ask it, and it's uh, why do you do the work do you do? Um, a couple reasons. Number one is I have a love for the game of hockey, um, and for me, when I wake up every morning and I get to go to the rink and do a job in hockey, it doesn't feel like work. And I genuinely, you know, really, really enjoy every, every day, you know, not to say there isn't some challenges and obstacles, that's any job, but I genuinely love what I do. And I think that's uh, extremely fulfilling in terms of getting to work and do something that you love and, and call it work and be compensated for it. Um, so that's the first piece. And the second piece is, uh, it's really enjoyable, um, seeing young athletes, um, you know, reach their goals and improve and develop. And the age from 16 to 20 is such an important age in terms of development, not just for hockey players, but for athletes in general, or even people that aren't athletes just in general, um, it's a super important age for development. It's kind of that, that age where you're kind of turning the corner from, you know, you know, going from a teenager into, you know, an adulthood. Adult. Yep. Yeah. Adulthood. And so I think it's super rewarding seeing guys, you know, try to reach their goals, get better and improve and, and being a small part of that process. Um, is extremely rewarding and fulfilling, especially after when they move on and you see them doing big things at the next level, or even not just in hockey, but they move on and they, they down the road, they find a great career or job and they're super successful. And obviously I'm not saying that I contributed to it or us and as the Kitchen Rangers contributed to it. And that's the only reason that they're there, but you like to think that a small little percentage of it, you help them get there and I, I think that's extremely rewarding well that's awesome yeah uh you're you're definitely uh you're definitely doing all the doing the right things and doing them for the right reasons um so as a rangers fan and just a member of the community want to thank you want to thank you for coming on and for me and sammy from everybody listening um and i just want to give you the opportunity if you need to to uh maybe shout anything out shine light on anything any anything you run uh not everybody has one but just wanted to give you the opportunity in case you do uh no i don't need any extra self-promotions or anything like that just uh maybe i just hopefully there's some rangers fans listening to this as well and just thank them for their continued support and patience um hopefully we can get back to playing hockey at some point when it's safe and everything's uh back up and running again but uh it hasn't been an easy year for anyone so all any ranger fans or anyone out there listening just hang in there and hopefully better times ahead and hopefully we can get back to the odd and start seeing some kitchen ranger hockey at some point awesome well thanks for uh thanks for giving us some of your time and uh yeah go rangers good luck with uh this season potentially and any seasons in the in the future so yeah thanks for hopping on yeah thanks for having me guys and good luck with everything All right. See everybody. Peace.